as you're taking your seat, you can grab your Bible and open up to Galatians chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are at the front here, and they're going to walk towards the back. We'd love to get a Bible into your hand. So just slip your hand up in the air if you don't have one, and we'll get one across to you. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, just keep this. This is our gift to you today. Uh, we would love to give you a copy of God's Word. And we are going to be moving through a lot of God's Word today. And uh, we're going to have a lot of it on the screen, but I, I want to encourage you where necessary to open up to some of these pages and read off of the, the Bible that you have in front of you. And I trust that God is going to work in power um, among us. I want to just read. We're diving back into our summer series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we've entitled it, you'll see behind me on the screens there, Gospel Impact, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. And that language, as most of you know, comes directly out of Galatians chapter 5, where Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh with really the work of the Spirit. And he's calling us to be a people who walk by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, and who keep in step with the Spirit. And he defines for us what that ultimately looks like. What is the evidence of the Spirit of God at work within your life? And here's what he says in verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my family and I were uh, in Michigan. And uh, I had the opportunity, actually, to uh, pick fruit twice in one week. And, uh, and kind of all the fruit was kind of beginning to come into season. And uh, in Michigan in particular, um, two things are really popular when it comes to picking fruit. There is uh, blueberries that come into season now, and there are cherries. And uh, my first kind of opportunity to go picking fruit was with cherries. And it was just at the very kind of beginning of, of sorry, of, of blueberry season. That's what I did first. Right at the very beginning. And so when we went in, they gave us these buckets about this big. And they said, well, you know, it's the, the, the picking's a little slim right now. They're just kind of coming into season, and so, you know, they pointed us in a direction. So, we were out there picking blueberries, and um, an hour later, I looked down, and my bucket like this was half full. And, and it was just kind of slow going, just kind of tedious. You know, you're kind of picking through bushes one at a time. You're looking for the right kind of blueberries. And, um, and, and so it took an incredibly a long amount of time. And then uh, a couple days later, I get to go cherry picking, and the cherries are just bursting on or off the trees. I mean, we're climbing up ladders and just scraping just cherries into buckets that we can't hold anymore because they're filled. So one takes like an hour. The other takes 60 seconds. I'll give you one guess which I enjoyed more. <laughs> There are certain aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that seem to maybe come a little easier, uh, maybe are a little bit more enjoyable even to talk about and to think about. I think of where we've been in this series before, the first three, fruit of the Spirit, love. Who doesn't like talking about that? Joy, peace. They all sound so serene, so sweet, and so beautiful. And then we get hit in the face today with patience. 
and maybe the inclination of your heart is to say, well, this would be a great message for someone I know to listen to. And that means that it is meant for you. The truth is, is that patience is a very challenging topic because it's a very challenging virtue for almost all of us. And I think that's part impartial because of sin, but it's also a byproduct of the kind of fast-paced culture that we live in. Patience has always been challenging, but I think with the rapid pace that our culture tends to move at because of the, the increase of technology and all that that affords us, we're used to everything now. Everything has to be rapid. Everything's got to be done quickly, and we expect that. And so the virtue of patience, the call in some sense to slow down, is so hard. How do you define patience? Uh, Let me say it like this. It's not less than having the ability to remain calm through long stretches of discomfort or personal inconvenience, but it is more than that. And I think it's important to say that impatience and anger go hand in hand. Hopefully you've seen that in your own life. Uh, Anger is usually the byproduct of impatience. You simmer to a boil. So what is Paul talking about here when he talks about patience? Let's just ask that question, what is patience? And I want to give you two answers. In fact, I want to give you two words, really, that help us kind of understand what the Bible is getting at when it's talking about patience. The first word is forbearance. Forbearance. And here's how I want to define that for you. Forbearance is the loving tolerance or the ability to put up with or bear, let me add that, with the weaknesses, faults, and sins of others without getting, pay attention to this, quickly irritated or angry enough to want to fight back, no matter how warranted it may be. Should we just close on that? It's like, it's enough conviction for today. Even the term forbearance kind of gives that indication, right? To bear with, to forbear, to put up with. But let me give you the second word, a hyphenated word, and oftentimes the word patience in the Bible, especially in older translations, was translated like this with the word long-suffering. And long-suffering, as you see behind me there, is the ability to endure trials and hardships with joy without losing faith in God or His good purposes. And here's what I want to see as we work through some texts today. Both meanings here are needed to really get the full flavor of what Paul and the Holy Spirit are trying to teach us and what the Spirit of God in particular is trying to produce within us. Patience is a virtue. It's often been said, and it is true. And in order to grow in this particular virtue, I want to look at it from three different angles. I want to look at the Father's patient heart, I want to look at the Son's patient conduct, and I want to look at the Holy Spirit's work of patience in us. It's kind of a Trinitarian approach. And I think it's, it's fitting as we think about the fruit of the Spirit because what God is trying to do is produce godlikeness, godliness within us. So first... Notice this, that God produces patience in our lives 
as we apprehend the characteristic of patience in the heart of the Father. Patience is actually an attribute of God himself, a characteristic of God. A Puritan by the name of Thomas Manton, he said this, he said, cheerful patience is an art and skill that a man learns from God. In one sense, that the story of the, the Old Testament, you could say the story of the Bible is really the story of the patience of God. That's one kind of way to, to frame it. A James Montgomery Boyce, a famous pastor and, and Bible commentator, he says this. He says that God is the supreme example of patience in his dealings with rebellious people. And really all of history is proof of this truth. And we've seen this in spades in the book of Genesis. If you've been marching through the book of Genesis with us, we're 20 chapters in. I think it's fair to say that one of the defining attributes of God is his patience. He is long-suffering with humanity. I mean, right out the gates, we saw that with Adam and Eve, who are given clear instruction to obey him to not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobey, and what we see right away is not this wrathful, judgmental God that so many people believe God to be, especially the God of the Old Testament, as if he's somehow different from the God of the New Testament. Instead, we see a patient God operating like a father with his children who draws near to his children and begins to ask questions and draw out their hearts and and he's trying to woo them back to him. I mean, from there, it really, again, just begins to, to demonstrate the patience of God. We see the patience of God during the days of Noah, not just with his own children, but even a delayed judgment upon the world. Let's, let's be clear, there is judgment and wrath in the Bible, but people often want to look at the Old Testament in particular and say, well, really that's the story of a God of wrath and judgment. What they fail to see is that like 95% of the Old Testament is actually the story of patience. God is waiting. He's slowly giving time for people to consider their wickedness. He's not moving rapidly with judgment And wrath. We've seen this in the life of Abraham. And we've we've seen it in his ups and downs. We've seen it in his lack of trust in God, his his lack of faith and belief that God's going to be faithful to fill his promises. And Abraham keeps messing up and turning kind of away from God. But God is so kind and patient with Abraham. Patience of God dominates the pages of the Bible. You might, you might think of it like this. Patience is actually who God is. In fact, the, the pinnacle of God's revelation in the Old Testament, it comes to us in Exodus chapter 34. I'll put it on the screen. Exodus chapter 34, the context is actually very significant to actually heighten the patience of God because here what we see is that you know, Moses had just led the people out of Egypt. He'd done all, you know, God had done all these miraculous signs. He goes up onto Mount Sinai and he goes to receive revelation from God to bring back to the people of God. And he comes down from the mountain to find that his people have already rebelled against him. 
They've rebelled, and they've they've not just rebelled, they've made an idol, a golden calf that they are now worshiping, claiming that this is the God who's led us out of Egypt. And God had every right to destroy them in that moment, but Moses, the servant of God, much like Abraham, intercedes on behalf of the people. And then he asks God, in the midst of this contest, God, would you show me your glory? And then God passes by uh, 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 Moses and he hides him in the cleft of a rock because you can't see the full presence of the glory of God and live. And so he hides him and he lets him see kind of the, the afterglow of his glory. But as he passes by, listen to what he says. It says, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Listen to these, two, these three words right here. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's those three words, slow to anger, that are really expressing this idea of patience as a part of the character of God. And actually, this phrase here, and actually this verse, is is one that is, it's repeated frequently throughout the Old Testament. Numerous times, the Old Testament authors reach back and pull from this description of God. One of the best examples, I think, is in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10. Listen to what it says. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Listen to this. He he, he kind of expands. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now we're getting to the heart of the patience of God. He doesn't do what he should do, what he could do. He's slow when it comes to his judgment. I really like what what commentator John McKay says. He says it like this. He says, slow to anger does not present the Lord as a frustrated deity who eventually loses patience and strikes out against those who have thwarted him. It rather acknowledges that the Lord is reluctant to act against his creation even when it is in rebellion against him. He waits long to give the sinner opportunity to return in repentance. This is what the Bible means when it talks about the long-suffering, slow-to-anger patience of our awesome God. And it's exactly what Peter in the New Testament actually draws our attention to when he's talking about the judgment of God. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you're looking at the, the world and you're looking at sin and wickedness and, and part of what your heart says is, Lord, why haven't you come yet to deal with all of this? Why, why won't you judge all the wickedness and evil, all the, the murders and the, the rapes and the molestations and the sex trafficking and the wars and all the cruelty and the heartache and hardship that fills this world. Why haven't you dealt with it? Why haven't you dealt with these people yet, God? You know what Peter says? Look at this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. He will. Listen, he's going to. As some count slowness, but is patient toward, look at at this word. What's the word? You. You need to hear that for a second because we often think about others. I, I want you to hear this. He is patient towards you not wishing 
that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is patient because he longs for sinners like you and me to return to him in repentance, to embrace his grace and his mercy. This is so challenging for us. I think if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we don't forbear or put up with things very well. I know I don't. It's interesting, James, in the New Testament, he says that every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's calling us into the patience of God to reflect the patience of God. But, but I think oftentimes we're the exact opposite. We're, we're often, aren't we, slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Why? I think one of the main reasons is because we do not truly apprehend the characteristic of patience in the heart of the Father toward us. I want you to just consider this for a moment. Where would you be if every sin you ever committed was instantly confronted by God with judgment and wrath. And some of us need to hear this because we are inclined to go off the handle the moment we feel wronged, the moment we feel slighted, the moment the kids are a little too out of sorts, the moment somebody irritates us, we just are so quick to snap and how dare you? And you can just, this is rooted in a self-righteousness and pride. And we, we need to hear what the Bible is calling us to. Because if God, listen, if God was like us, we'd all be dead right now. We'd, we'd be utterly lost. We'd be hopeless. But praise be to God for his perfect patience. Amen? Praise God that he doesn't act the way we are so inclined to act in our sinfulness. He is slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love and compassion toward us. Patience has a lot to do. That's the long-suffering of God, but, but the forbearance of God has a lot to do, I want you to just consider that word again for a moment, with how much we're able to bear or carry. So I want to put an image into your mind for a minute. I, I want you to, any, anybody ever gone like on a, on a hiking trip, a back, like a backwoods, backcountry camping trip? Anybody? This, nobody does that anymore? Just too much glamping going on here, okay? You've got to get out and enjoy the great outdoors. The, the, I, I've, I've done a, a, a lot of camping in my days, back in the day, and I'll tell you this, that when you get a pack on your back, there's only so long you can go if it's really heavy, right? It just starts to weigh you down. And I want to, to give you this image because that's actually an image that God uses in the book of Isaiah to describe the way he bears with the sin of his people. By the way, we kind of understand this imagery, right? Because we often, you know, when we run out of patience, we just, you know, what do we say? I can't bear it anymore. So Isaiah pictures this argument between God and Israel in which God says that he had not laid upon Israel this heavy burden. 
And then he turns around to them, and you know what he says to them? He says, like, I haven't laid this burden on you, but he says this, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. It's Isaiah 43, 23 through 24, if you're taking some notes, I'm going to look that up later. Now, this obviously does not mean that God is getting tired. He's not physically tired. But what it does mean is that when God is being patient, it is because he is carrying the heavy load of human sin. I've said this before, but, you know, God God doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't sweep sin under a rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. He has to do something with it. And in his patience, the imagery we need to have in our mind is that God is actually bearing with our sin like it's a heavy backpack that he does not grow weary of holding. Although, in this instance, he's saying, I'm getting weary of it. In fact, one of the Hebrew words that's translated in our Bibles as to forgive literally means to bear or carry. So when God is patient, when God forgives, here's what I'm trying to communicate to you. It is only because God chooses to carry our sins himself to bear the weight and the cost of them upon his own shoulders. And isn't this exactly what he says he will do in Isaiah 53? Look at this. I just string a few of these verses together for you, but look at, pay attention to the words. This is, he's talking about his servant who is connected with God himself. It says, surely he has borne our griefs, listen to this language, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord, listen to this language, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And that, of course, is pointing us to Jesus Christ, is it not? The one who would bear our sins, would bear the burden of them, would carry them upon his shoulders as he hung on the cross and died in our place. Which is why next, God produces patience in our lives when we appreciate the conduct of patience in the ministry of the Savior. And and you can turn if you want. We're not going to put it on the screen yet. It it will be up there. But if you want to turn to 1 Peter 2, that's a good place to see this. But I'm going to get us there. So flip there, but just track with me as I work through this. You see, when we think of God bearing our burdens, when we think about Isaiah 53, hopefully, naturally, your mind runs to Jesus the fulfillment of that passage of Scripture. And in fact, what we see is the fullest expression of God and therefore the fullest expression of patience in Jesus Christ, his Son. One author, Jonathan Cruz, he he put it like this, so so succinctly and, and profoundly. He said this, In Jesus Christ, God's slow to anger goes from declaration to actual flesh and bone incarnation. And just as with all other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus is the, the embodiment 
of patience. His life and his ministry are marked by both forbearance and long suffering. He, he is, I want you just to consider, Jesus is the judge of the universe. John 5 says Jesus will actually be the one who judges the universe. Every single being will be judged by Jesus Christ himself. And yet, he comes and he sets his gavel to the side for a time. And in love and mercy... He embraces those who repent and put their trust in him. Now, when you think of the life of Jesus, uh, there are countless ways we see his patience being manifested to the world. And, and I, I love the, the displays of patience we see towards his disciples. His disciples are, are like his friends, but they're kind of like his children, He's for sure their superior in every way. You know, he has this master kind of relationship with them. They follow him. The relationship he has with his disciples is so sweet. It's really often so gracious. And it is so patient. I mean, there are so many times where, where we read Jesus saying like, when, I'm paraphrasing, when will you get this? Why are you so slow to understand? Uh, parents, do you remember the phase your kids went through where all they did was ask questions? Do you remember that phase? And, and they seemed to ask questions but understood nothing? And wasn't that fun? For like five seconds? Like, why? Why? How come? But why? Why? And you're like, I have zero patience for this. Kind of like, in some senses, Jesus with his disciples. I, I don't know how he did it. The God of the universe, perfect knowledge, perfect everything, and he's persevering with his disciples through all of their faults, all of their failings, all of their misunderstandings and ignorance and sins. But perhaps the, the most significant display of his patience was, was directed towards Peter. Peter, the great apostle, who is often this zealous, a more aggressive a kind of leader of the bunch... He's running around, you know, chopping people's ears off, denying Jesus three times. Jesus uh, has to tell him because Peter wants to come and, and prevent him from going to Jerusalem after he tells him he's going there to die. And he has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. If anybody says that to you, there's a problem. And yet, the scriptures are clear that Jesus, he loved them to the very end tolerating their ignorance, their foolishness, and their sin, even patient with their own impatience. Don't you love that? You ever been in that place where somebody's just showing no patience? Like, you, why can't you just be patient? Or you pray, God, I want patience and I want it right now. <laughs> There's a, 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 an event that happens in the, in the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, and, and uh, Luke tells us all about it, and it's so fascinating. They're in this Samaritan village, and the Samaritans have essentially rejected Jesus, and they've denied him, and all of this, and it gets pretty aggressive. And his disciples, they're like all bent out of shape. They want swift justice, and they want it now, even to the point where they look at Jesus, and here's what they say. Lord, do you want us to tell fire from heaven to come down and consume them? How much patience do you think it took for Jesus to just listen to that sentence? And then it follows it with this, but the Lord turned and rebuked them. By the way, patience does not mean we don't address things in people. 
You see, this was not consistent with the mission of Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. He did not come to destroy them from their sin. He came to deliver them from their sin. And we need to understand that this is the ministry of Jesus and the patience he exhibits is supposed to inform us. It informed Paul, the apostle, when he wrote to to Timothy, his his beloved disciple, a pastor of the church in Ephesus. He says this in 1 Timothy 16. He says, but I, thinking of his own life, received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, listen, don't be so quick to judge people because if you just look at your own life, you'll realize you are worthy of God's judgment yourself. And Paul says, I was the most undeserving of all. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church. I was not a good guy at all, but God by his mercy saved me. And he did so in order to show the world that God is patient with sinners. So if you think you are beyond the grace and mercy of God, if you think you have somehow exhausted the patience of God, think again. God can save you. God is patient and long-suffering with you as he is with me. Peter, who who knew the patience of God so personally because Jesus was so patient with him, he's actually the one. Isn't it fascinating? He's the one who draws upon Isaiah 53 in probably the most profound way in the New Testament. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 20 through 24, look at what he says. Let's just read it together. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible there, just look at it. when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, Peter sees that the, the patient suffering of Jesus as a model for us both to appreciate and also to emulate. He looks at Jesus and, and he, he sees, listen, he's speaking, Peter is, to Christians who are being mistreated because of their faith. They're being mocked, they're being ridiculed, they're, they're experiencing a social ostracization, they're losing jobs, the government is against them. I mean, like, their, their rights and freedoms have been stripped away, and, and they're trying to figure out how do we respond, how do we act, how do we think, and he says this, he says, look at Jesus, okay? Look at Jesus, because as you, as you look at Jesus, and especially as you look at the cross, you will see the greatest example of patient endurance you could possibly imagine. Because here, at the cross, is the, the Son of God, God in flesh. I want you to think about this. The one who spoke the world into existence. He created all of these human beings, and now these human beings are looking at him and spitting in his face. 
They're reviling him and mocking him. They're ripping his beard out. They're, they're putting a, a crown of thorns on his head, you know, with, with two to three inch long thorns, and they're driving it down so the pain is pulsating and the blood is dripping. They put a, a robe around him, and they mock him as king of the Jews, and they tell him, hey, I thought you were this king. Where are your armies? Who's going to rescue you? Why don't you come down off of that cross? Can you just imagine this? for a moment. And here is Jesus, listen, who could have called down a legion of angels at any moment. Who could have responded with such just, righteous wrath and fury. Who could have called down fire from heaven to consume these sinners, these ungrateful, wicked sinners who are crucifying the Lord of glory. And then what did he do? He opened not his mouth. He suffered and endured all of it. And, and he didn't just do it with heartache. You know what Hebrew says? He did it for the joy that was set before him. He knew what he was doing. He knew what was being accomplished. He knew what it would mean for me and for you. He knew that if he responded with impatience, if he did not forbear, it meant eternal damnation and destruction for you and for me. He did it in order to bear and to carry our sins. He did it without retaliation. He did it trusting in his Father. And he not only patiently endured human injustice, he patiently endured the wrath of God. And I don't know about you, but there are sometimes, you know, this week I was, I was thinking about the cross and it struck me again, I think in a fresh way as I was thinking about the patience of God. It's, it struck me because as Jesus hung on the cross, do you remember the words that came out of his mouth towards, you remember, like, no, no guile or anger in his heart. Do you remember what he said? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I mean, even if you and I are patiently enduring things, oftentimes we do it through gritted teeth. Not Jesus. And, and the forbearance of Christ, it should elicit a couple responses. The first response, listen, is for some of you here today, especially if you're an unbeliever, if you're not a Christian and you are here today, and first of all, we're so thankful you're here. And I believe with all my heart, you are here for this very moment to hear this very thing. God is slow to anger. He is forbearing and he's doing so, he's waiting patiently for you. And the response that he's trying to elicit from you through the, the patience of Jesus Christ, as you see Christ paying for your sins on the cross, the response is simple, it's this, repentance. It's, it's acknowledging that you are indeed a sinner, that Jesus Christ is your only hope, that he, that he suffered and he died for you, believing that he paid them, he bore your sins upon the tree. 
And by the grace and the power of God, three days later, he rose again from the grave. He conquered sin and death. Your sin could not keep him down. He was victorious over it. His life rules over death, and so he can give life to you today if you believe upon him. And maybe if you are a Christian here today, but just impatience seems to characterize your life, maybe it always has, maybe it does in a particular, particular way right now, I, I, all I want to do is direct your gaze back to the cross right now and see how patient Jesus was in enduring your sin on your behalf. And here's what I want to say to you, maybe now is just this moment to spend some time in repentance before the Lord. And there's a good chance that there's some people in here today who are going to have to leave here and go express repentance to some people they've been incredibly impatient with. And I would urge you today to respond by doing just that, believing that it's God who's working right now within you because he's working to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. The second response this is seeking to elicit from us is representation. You see, what we see is we need to move from being a repentant sinner to being a representation of him. His conduct is being held up by Peter as the pattern that we are called to follow as we face injustice. Patience, by the way, is not seen when times are easy. It's seen when times are hard. It's to this representation that I just want to turn our our focus now in this final point. And here it is. God produces patience in our lives as we apply the cultivation of patience in the power of the Spirit. God is calling us to represent his patience and he is working to reproduce his patience in us. That's, that's the whole point of this series. This series is, is helping us look at how the gospel is supposed to impact us you believe the gospel, the spirit of God lives within you, and God has given you the power and the direction to now begin to look more like his son. So it's the gospel's impact in us that changes us and transforms us, and then it becomes the gospel impact through us to this world that so desperately needs Jesus. We cannot forget that this is what God produces in us and at the same time, it is what must be cultivated by us. Let me say that again. It's what God produces in us, but it is also what must be cultivated by us. Every single aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is something that we are told is done in a sense passively by the presence of the Spirit of God, but also actively we are commanded to pursue it and to cultivate it. The power to do this. I want to give you some hope, Christians. You're like, man, I wrestle so much with patience or impatience in my life. The power to do this is none other than the power of God himself. He does not leave you just to figure this out on your own. I want to, let me throw one more verse up here. There's more to come. I shouldn't have said one more. There's a lot more. Uh, One more verse, though, that really helps solidify this idea. Here's what Paul prays in Colossians 1, 9 through 11. Look at what he says. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, in every good work 
and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Listen to this. Why, Paul? For all endurance and patience with joy. Paul's like, look, this is going to take all the power of God. And the good news is, is you have all the power of God. So four ways, four ways that we can cultivate this. First way, remembering, not forgetting. Remembering, not forgetting. Remembering all we've looked at when it comes to who God is and what Christ has done. But let's remember to the calling that God has placed on us. Ephesians 4, similar to what Paul just prayed in Colossians, he says this in verses 1 to 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Hear this, church. Here's your calling. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. Look how he defines this. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He he calls us to this gracious tolerance of one another's faults. We understand this, that patience is often displayed in our relationships and often actually in our closest relationships. Forbearance or tolerance in the scriptures is always associated with, with love and the unity of believers. There's this, uh, this silly little poem I, I came across, and it goes like this. It says, to dwell in love with saints above, oh, that will be glory, but to dwell below with saints we know, ah, that's a different story. <laughs> it can be so hard to exercise this kind of patience with others. In our immediate family, in our church family, And it's something that doesn't come naturally, and so it actually must be regularly remembered and applied. Some of us have a very low threshold for other people. And some of us actually boast about it, as if impatience is a virtue. It's interesting, Paul roots our patience in our our, our ability, catch this, to love others the way that God loves us in a way that promotes unity, not division. We can't afford to forget, listen, that our own personal opinions, preferences, feelings, they do not take precedence over the unity in the body of Christ. Our patience and forbearance of one another is one of the clearest marks that the Spirit of God is actually at work among us. So Paul is urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And I just, I want to call us to remember that calling. Never forget that your calling is rooted in the love of God who is patient with you. And I want to quote to you um, the wedding verse that is not really a wedding verse. If you, if you read it at your wedding, listen, it still applies, so don't be upset if you had this read at your wedding, but it is not a wedding verse. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about your marriage. It's about the church. Do you know that? It's about the church. Listen, listen, love, what's the first thing he says about love? Love is what? Come on, church. Patient. Love is patient and kind. This is talking about how we operate together. We need to hear this. We need to remember this. It's patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love, catch this, if it's not enough, love bears all things. 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Never forget that this is most perfectly displayed in Jesus Christ towards you. Second, we cultivate this by forgiving, not begrudging. And this is so tied to to what we just looked at. We, We need to remember that this is how God is patient towards us. In Colossians 3, 12, and 13, listen to what it says. Again, it doesn't come naturally, so look look at the language. Put on then. It's hard. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul, tell us more about what this patience looks like. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How can we do that? Well, here's how. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, he's just like, look, just look at God. Look at the cross. He he equates forbearance with forgiveness. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Listen, this is vital because, I, I don't know if you figured this out yet, if you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, somebody is going to hurt you. Somebody's going to offend you. Somebody is going to wrong you, sin against you, ignore you, forget about you, you know, mistreat you, humiliate you. It's just going to happen because we're human. We're sinners. What do we do when that happens? The answer is not to begrudge one another. We can't walk around living in resentment towards one another. We, we can't be walking through the hall, see somebody that we have, that has offended us, and turn and go the other way because we just want nothing to do with that person. That's not how the body of Christ is supposed to operate. That's not allowed. Forbearance is when you choose to forgive people rather than hold a grudge against them. Forbearance is when you choose to overlook something that was hurtful or unkind rather than fighting back with harsh words or making sure you get even with the one who did you wrong. Forbearance is when you learn to be patient with others mainly because you are very well aware of your own shortcomings and weaknesses and you know that not only are others having to be patient with you, God is always having to be patient with you. We are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. He died that we might be forgiven, yes and amen, but he died that we might be forgivers. Kevin Van Hooser, a theologian, he says this. He says, the church is a theater of reconciliation, not only a place of the forgiven, but a place where forgiveness happens. This kind of patience does not ignore, listen, the provocations of sin from others. It doesn't mean that we we don't have to talk to people and address offenses. The scriptures are clear on that, that sometimes we do. It simply seeks to respond to others who have offended us or provoked us in a godly manner. It enables us to control our tempers when we are provoked and to seek to deal with that person in his provocation in a way that tends to heal the relationship rather than fracture the relationship and aggravate the problem. It seeks, listen, this is really important, it seeks the ultimate good of the other individual rather than the immediate satisfaction of our own distorted emotions. All right, two more. 
The third one is this, persevering, not quitting. Paul, as, as he writes to Timothy, who's under a lot of duress, who's being attacked, and he's having to endure, here's what Paul says to him, for 2 Timothy 3.10 and, and 4.2, he says this, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And then he charges him, listen, and this is so good for us to hear because we're, we're, we're living in a time where the preaching of God's word I think is out of season in many ways. If people don't want to hear it, here's what he says to Timothy who's maybe, maybe being tested in this area. He says this, be ready. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Notice this, with complete patience and teaching. We, we need to be a people who are persevering through adversity. And I think maybe when it comes to our patience with not only the way we sin against one another, we need to be patient with the world around us. Some of us are getting easily agitated. Some of us are inclined to lash out at at the world who is um, lost and dead in their trespasses and sins. And I'm not suggesting there aren't things we shouldn't be angry about. But I'm concerned by how we often maybe respond to the world around us. Whereas long-suffering should be our patient reaction to people who mistreat or provoke us, I want you to see this, that endurance and perseverance should be our patient reaction to circumstances that try us. This has to do with how we suffer in this world, and suffering can come in, in many different you know, ways, shapes, sizes. Suffering is, it could be physical or an emotional trial. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's unanswered prayers for a child or for the salvation of a family member to be saved. Maybe it's the restoration of a marriage. Perhaps it comes in the form of of ridicule or mockery or social alienation or even physical persecution because you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Jesus is our example of enduring and persevering through suffering. And the message of the Word of God is do not quit. Do not quit. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. Peter says that suffering and trials, they're only, listen, the grand scheme of things. I know they're hard, I know they're painful, but they're actually only for a little while. And in Galatians 6, 9, I love this, such a great reminder. Here's what Paul says. He said, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't quit, Christian. Persevere under trial. God is working in you and through you let him produce the patience that the suffering you're experiencing. Listen, that, that, that intense pressure and suffering, part of the reason God's got you there is because he's trying to produce patience like Christ. Lastly, waiting, not demanding. Waiting, not demanding. Long-suffering is equated with waiting in the Old Testament. Psalm 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord he inclined to me and heard my cry. And you know, as, as you think about just life in general, but maybe particularly the Christian life, one of the things you need to kind of come to grips with is that God will often require you as a Christian to learn to wait. In fact, it's the expectation of the Christian life. He's built into the Christian life this, this, this necessary waiting. 
And again, this, this is, you know, we started the message saying this is, patience is so hard because we don't like waiting. We get everything so fast. I mean, I can, I can go to Amazon Prime and I can find something that I need and I can like have it in like five hours. And I'm really, really impatient if it says it's coming tomorrow between four and six and it shows up at 6.30. But, it, but listen, on a more serious note, if you assume that God is just going to simply give you everything you want and everything you think you need the very moment you ask for it, you're going to be a very sad, disappointed, frustrated, angry, joyless Christian. If you assume God is going to alleviate your, your sufferings, I say this with great, listen, empathy for so many of you I know who are suffering. If, if you assume that God is going to change your spouse, I say this with great sympathy knowing there are people in this room who are praying so desperately that God would change the heart of their spouse. If you assume that God is going to maybe fill your bank account because you're struggling financially, if you assume that God is going to make you prosperous and successful in this life, then you've actually adopted a version of the prosperity gospel. Claiming and demanding from God what you believe you are owed or deserve or even promised with no regard to God's sovereignty over your life and circumstances is not the way God calls us to live or even to pray. Perhaps God will grant you your requests right away. He, he, he can and he often does, but I would say that's not the norm. No, instead God builds waiting into the Christian life in order to build Christ-like character into your life. Biblical patience is rooted in faith that has everything, that, that says, excuse me, everything is in God's control. And spiritual patience depends upon a love and trust in the providence of God and the character of God. And believing this actually gives us hope. Paul says this in Romans 8.25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How can we have eternal hope? Because we believe. We believe what Psalm 119.68 says, that God, you are good and you do good. We believe what Paul will say just a few verses later in Romans 8.28, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes, it may not look like it, it may not feel like it, it may not seem like it, but just wait and see. God is weaving together a perfect, beautiful story of his patience and grace from which when you're in heaven and you look at it from a different vantage point you will see everything God did was good right and perfect so let us hope for what we do not now see trusting our good God who is working as he promises for our good remembering listen the patience of the father embracing the patience of God the son and growing in patience by the power of God the spirit let's pray Lord we do pray that you are you are good and faithful and father we confess that we are often an impatient people who fail to see how patient you are, Lord, not just with us, but with this world that is in rebellion against you. And so, God, we pray that we would em embrace and truly apprehend the, the heart of patience of you, God, our Father. We pray, we pray that we would be convinced that you are good 
that you are doing good. And as we look at the cross, Lord, we see, we see your patience and the goodness of you, our Father, as you gave your one and only Son. And Spirit of God, we pray that you would work mightily within us. Would you, would you not only help us to see how good you are, but Lord, would you produce that kind of patience in us? Would we be long-suffering, willing to forbear the sins of others, to, to patiently wait for you, to trust that you have all things in the palm of your hand, you know exactly what you're doing, you are working all things for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we pray that our hearts now will be filled with praise to you, our good God. They would be filled with gratitude to you, Jesus, our good and faithful friend. And Spirit of God, we pray that we would offer to you praise that is due you, for you are good to keep working in us. Receive our praise now, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Let's stand together.